K-A-L-W. Hey, this is Chanton Bun. I used to be one of the guys that made Uncuff inside San Quentin State Prison. But the whole production stopped in March because of coronavirus. Meanwhile, I got paroled July 1st after spending 23 years in prison. I thought I was heading to ICE detention because I'm a refugee from Cambodia and I came when I was a little child. But for some reason, ICE didn't pick me up. Maybe because San Quentin had a horrible outbreak of coronavirus. Most people there got it, including myself. The day after I got paroled, I got to have a socially distant conversation with Nina, one of our KALW producer who taught his radio inside. How much information did CDCR give you about COVID? Like what it is, how it's transmitted, like how how did you know what you knew about COVID-19? They had these videos uh, encouraging us to, you know, stay socially distant and all that. And everybody's like, why do they keep on saying that when they know we can't social distance ourselves? Every cell in San Quentin is about five by ten. I mean, I'm a small guy and, and I don't I don't have room in there to even like turn around. So April comes, we get a bottle of hand sanitizer and they gave us uh, two masks that they made and they gave us a bar of soap once a week. They didn't give nothing extra to clean up or nothing. How did you find out that there was starting to be more cases at San Quentin. Were you hearing from other incarcerated guys? Were you hearing this from the staff? Like, how are you finding out the information? They they do not give us no information in there. We 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 watch the news. So you were so you were watching outside news and learning about what was happening at San Quentin that way. Yes. And wow. uh, how did that feel? It, it's I already knew what was going to happen. I, I I wrote people. I say hey. They're going to kill us. We're, we're going to have an outbreak. I already knew how it's going to play out. So I was trying to prepare myself not to catch it. But there's no way that, that you're not going to catch it in there. Because you got to sleep and, and, and the CEO walk by and count you three, four, three times a night. And, and he's, he's, he's only breathing about a foot away from you when he shines his flashlight in there to look in. And like I would, I would sleep and put uh, my towel up. So I could have a little, at least a little cushion between, between me and the bars. They threatened to write me up saying, hey, you can't cover up like that. And I tried to explain to them. I said, it's coronavirus. I'm sleeping. I don't know who's walking by, breathing here. You know, and, and then you have some guys that just scare out their mind. They put notes on front of their bar letting people know, like, I'm, I'm immune compromised. Please stay away from me. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me catch my breath. Oh, I'm sorry, Bun. That sounds like a pretty bad cough. Oh, I just, I had a cramp by coughing. Oh, was this, so you were saying you were having symptoms inside. Is this the kind of stuff that was happening to you while you were at San Quentin? Yeah. This even, Can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what kind of symptoms you were having? Well, at first, I, I, I had chills, and I was like, oh, my God. I was having headaches, and I've just laid there. I slept maybe half the day, 
and woke up worried. I didn't eat. And it was just, it was just a lot of stress and worries. Why did you refuse to get tested at San Quentin? Um, I didn't trust them at all. I was, I was worried that they'll use the information for something else or they'll, they'll dupe us. And, and I'm, I'm, I wasn't going to uh, cooperate in, in their trial and errors. And a lot, of, a lot of inmates like me don't trust them. Like, no, I don't trust them at all. So you had a day where you were feeling sick and you were worried. And then at what point did you know that you were actually going to get out? Uh, uh, ICE came and saw me. And they, they told me, they said, hey, we schedule you, not, not CDCR, ICE schedule to, to pick me up on the 1st. So ICE told you they were going to come and um, pick you up when CDCR um, released you because um, you had lost your green card privileges because of your crime. Yeah, exactly. Right when ICE came and talked to me, I knew I had coronavirus. I knew I was positive because I was having symptoms. And now I'm stressed out because I have the symptom now. Now I got to go to ICE with this symptom and... I don't even know if, if I could survive it if I'm in ICE because of the uh, poor treatment they have over there. So if I would have went to ICE, I believe there was a strong chance of me even dying in there because of coronavirus. At what point did you know that you were actually going to get out? Usually they wake people up on, on the day that you're supposed to be released around 3 o'clock. So... I was ready. Three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Nothing. Six o'clock come, nothing. Six thirty, nothing. Seven, nothing. And I was like, oh man, they left me here. Eight thirty, they came and got me. I clear up my stuff and I bring whatever I, I'm gonna bring with me. And then I run around the building saying goodbye to my friends. But most of them were bedridden. A lot of them just waved back. And some of them was just sleeping because they were sick. They were all sick. But I still came around and said goodbye to every one of them. And uh, it was bittersweet. I mean, I was happy for myself, but it was hard for me to see my friends that are sick. And I know they're sick. And if they weren't sick, they would jump for so much joy. The r and officer came and said, okay, let's go. I'm your escort. And he comes and, es- and escort me all the way on to R&R, and they put me in a cage. And what's R&R, for those who don't know? Receiving and release. Mm-hmm. So they, they come get me, and he said, let's roll, off to the bus station. And I was like, are you serious? Still not believing them. So he drives off. We go to the first gate. I say my name and everything. They all say parole. And... When he drives out the gate, I was like, what's going on? Where is ICE? And I'm, I'm still waiting for ICE to pull up on me. And he just keeps on driving and driving until we got to the San Rafael bus station. Opens up the door. And he gives me my uh, gate money and say, hey, go to that lady right there. She'll give you a bus uh, ticket. And they take off. I was like, what? So I went to the lady. I say, ma'am, I need a ticket. She goes, you from San Quentin? I was like, yes. She gave me a ticket. 
And I didn't know what it's for. I know it's for a bus, but I was expecting a Greyhound. You know, I've been in prison 23 years. These buses are new. I don't know what it what it is. And, oh, my God, the bus ride almost killed me. I was sick, and I had motion sickness. I, I was, it was bad. And uh, when I got off the bus, I took a nap. You took a nap? Yes. I put my bag down <laughs> on the bench and took a nap for like 10, 10, 15 minutes. Got up, and then there was some construction work, and I asked to use his phone, and he called Anoop for me. And who's Anoop? Anoop, Anoop is my, uh, my uh, uh, attorney. So when, and, and what was that like when you guys all saw each I other? I can't even describe the feeling. It was, they were ecstatic. I was happy. They were, they were oh my, I, I just don't, I don't, I didn't know how to feel. It was just overwhelming. And then uh, Anoop took me and got my COVID test right away. And then you, and then that's when you found out that you were for sure positive. Yeah. I already told him, I was like, yeah, it's going to come out positive. So. Do you know at this point why ICE didn't come pick you up? We, we don't know at all. No idea. No they idea. Yeah, they just didn't come. What was it like to sleep in that bed last night when you weren't head to toe in a five, six foot by ten foot cell? Oh my God, I felt I felt so safe, but it was so quiet. It was way too quiet. So I I think my ears started ringing because it's so quiet. What are you thinking about and feeling about the people who are still there? Man, I, I'm so saddened, and I pray for them, and I'm, I'm, I'm sending all my energy to them to, to, to survive this. It took me a few weeks before I was strong enough to walk around the block. After I started feeling better, Nina came back to check on me. It was about a month after I left San Quentin. We're sitting outside um, where the place where you're living, and it's a really nice day. So how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing a whole lot better. Um, I'm just enjoying every moment of freedom right now. I'm enjoying the sun. I'm enjoying the wind. I'm enjoying waking up in the morning and, and walking outside with, with a little chill. Uh, I remember uh, about last week, my lungs started to clear up. And when it cleared up right away, I took my first deep breath and I was like, oh my God, breathing like this is so much easier. And it was like, it was like a new life for me. I was like, I am breathing. I love breathing. That's awesome. But it took you a while. It took you a while to feel better, right? Yeah. After uh, my, I, my temperature went down, I had, I had coughing still, I had trouble breathing still. Then I got this thing they call COVID toe. What's that like? Um, it's torture. It's like somebody pulling your toenails out and picking what toe they want to pull it from. Ow. Yeah. Torture. Could you walk? Yeah, um, the first time I venture out, I was like, oh, I'm going to go right now, but I'm going around the block. At first, I wanted to test my lungs out to see how much I could walk before I got tired and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe too well. But also, I was like, I wanted to... See, see the outside world, and uh, it was scary. I 
didn't feel comfortable crossing the street. The cars were so fast. Um, I stopped for every car, and every car stopped for me. And we, we, we had to have eye contact, and they keep on telling me, go. Um, so, and the smell, there was a gas station right here. I smelled the gas, and I smelled, I smelled you know, the, the, the little food that they had there. I smelled the exhaust pipe. It was amazing, actually. Yeah? Yeah, getting all my senses back. Like, I see people walking towards me. It, the only thing weird is when people walk towards they don't have eye contact. They look the other way and, and like, act like they don't know you. And I was like, I'm not used to that. I'm, I'm waving at everybody. Hi, how you guys doing? Hi, how you guys doing? Because you used to be in a place where you know everyone. Yeah, and then uh, they just look at me like, okay. Look, there go my, my buddy, Blondie. That's my cat friend. Who's your cat friend? Blonde. <laughs> Can you describe him? Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, like a tiger striped cat. When I was, when, when I was stuck in my, my, the room on COVID, I used to sit by the, the, the window and then used to come by. Then I made friends with them. There's two of them. There's blonde and black. They're my, they were my only company for three, four weeks. So yeah, those are my buddies right there. They come by three, four times a day. I, I stopped having severe symptoms where, where I could focus on, on taking things in, processing everything. And the walk around the block is helping me process, like, because, you know, sitting in this room is like sitting in a cell. I just have a view. Now that, that I'm coming out a little bit and walking around and seeing things, and this week and a half, I keep, I yell out, I'm free. You I come out yell. here, I yell, I'm free. This is freedom, I'm free. And I roll around the grass, I'm free. And I tell myself that it's still overwhelming, but the feelings are kicking in, the, the, the joyness and the sorrow at the same time, you know? I, I, like, like, I, still, I, I feel so bad for my friends that I left behind. I feel like, you know, uh, when people go to war and come back and, like, you know, I left some friends behind. Survivor's guilt. I have a lot of that because I have a lot of friends there. And two have died. And, you know... It's hard to process that because my friend had passed away. I can't go to his funeral because I don't know the fam- where the family's at. CDC's not telling us anything. The sad part is for me that is so that that I have this guilt is because when I was in there and it was an outbreak, we talked about it with both of them. The first one, I know him as Spanky. I told him. Be careful, because if you catch it, I don't think you're going to make it, because I know his medical problems. And, I, and, and, you know, I check up on him. And Eric that just passed away, we talked about it when, it when it was an outbreak. Right when he heard that Chino sent inmates to San Quentin, he double masked everywhere he went. He was, on top he of was each other. worried. And uh, uh, I knew his condition, he had respiratory problems. And, you know... It's hard to process that because I can't be a part of the funeral. I don't know where he's getting buried. I don't know how his family's doing. And, you know, I'm starting to process that. Now, now I'm starting to think to, I got to live for, for these two guys that, that I care about, you know. Yeah. Because they always, they always told me, man, you're going to be out there. You're going to be good. You know, I was real close with him. One of them, I was his cellmate for years. I'm really sorry to hear that, Bob. Yeah. I'm really sorry. So right now we're just I'm just in the process of mourning him. I remember the last time we talked you told me that 
you, you know, you weren't quite sure you were going to get out. And then all of a sudden you had to run around and say goodbye. And it was kind of weird to all your friends. Are these two people you got to say goodbye to when you left? I didn't get to say goodbye to them. Because they lived on, on the bottom tier. And I was heading down the bottom tier. And, and the officer's like, you better go right now. And I was, I hope they heard me because I yelled out. I'll see you guys later, man. I'm gone. And you were experiencing symptoms yourself, like bad symptoms. Obviously, you know, we don't know the extent of what they were feeling, but I can imagine that that must yes. have. Yes. I, I could imagine how they passed. And that's a sad thing because I experienced it and it almost took my life. I would have passed on if I didn't have my community caring for me and, and, and taking good care of me and, and, and you know, helping me through this. And I know, I know, I know that with them, they have, they don't have that. They're going to the hospital by themselves. There's no community care. There's no, you know, and so that's another guilt I feel because I got care from people that care about me, that love me. And then when I think about them, they, they had a steel door and handcuffs on them. Yeah. I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, but you're you're here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm wondering, you know, you, I can, you know, getting out after 20 plus years of being inside in and of itself yeah. is crazy. Getting out after 20 plus years and being really sick is crazy. Yeah. And then add on top of that, like this world that you came into it's like nothing like we've ever seen before like tell me a little bit about what it's been like adjusting back to the world other than walking around like for example we're all everyone else in the world is basically using all sorts of technology to talk to each other right on our phones like lots of people use zoom or facetime and i imagine you've used some of those too which is probably pretty different (laughs) yeah um with technology, I'm catching up. I keep on forgetting that I do have a phone, and I just walk around with nothing. And they're like, why didn't you get your phone? I say, oh, I forgot I have a phone. I forget to charge it, and I learn about this FaceTime, and it's just, like, ongoing. I, I, I talk to my mom every day because uh, uh, she, she couldn't come visit because Los Angeles had a spike in uh, COVID. So my sister locked her down, like, you know what, we're going to have to cancel because, you know, we fear for our mom i say yeah you're right so and but my mom is so anxious though. yeah my mom's so anxious to come see me and she's like if i could sneak away i'll get on the bus right now i was like mom stop it's okay it's not that serious okay your health is more important and so i spend i spend at least two three hours a day speaking to her facetiming her your mom yes my mom and then my nephews and stuff and then uh when i when when like when I'm watching a movie sometime, my cousins will FaceTime me, my uncles will FaceTime me, and we'll talk for hours. So it's been like that for for a few weeks since I could talk. Because before I couldn't talk, they'll FaceTime me and I'd just sit there and cough. It's been good. It's been very good. And how does it feel? You know, it sounds like you talk to your mom and maybe your sister, or you talk to that household like a couple hours a day. Yeah. You know, you definitely can't call whenever you want when you're on the inside. How's adjusting to that? Like, you can talk to your family. You can just pick up the phone and see them whenever you want. It's... Oh my God, it's so amazing. It's like, and it's so amazing for my mom. It's like when she missed me, she calls. Instead of waiting for me to, to like once a day or once a week or once a month, they call every day. How are you doing? How's your feet? Like they know everything in my health. How's your feet? You know, how's your coughing? One thing I'm glad is I'm taking 
really small baby steps. Uh, you didn't expect to be out here, right? You yeah. expected to be in a detention center, yes. and ICE didn't come. So can you talk to me a little bit about wh- what is the status of that now, as much as you're able to tell me, you know? What, what, what's, what's happening with that? Um, with, with the ICE, we really don't know. So we don't know if they're like, you know what, we'll just wait till COVID's over and we'll go get him. Or, you know what, we just didn't want the publicity at first, but now we want him. So we, we don't know anything. So it's like, it's hard for me to plan the future to do anything without, like, it's just, I'm still stuck in a limbo. To be clear, you are still at risk from being picked up by ICE. Yes. Do you feel like you have to be careful when you go out into the world? Yes, I do. Uh, when I step out, I look around. I mean, it's crazy where I'm trying to change myself to being being a, a, a citizen, being a normal person, but then still holding to, hey, I got to watch out. And it's a, it's a crazy world that, that I have to put into perspective is like you're free but you're not free. And I hate the feeling I have to watch over my back while, while I'm trying to learn to be free. That sounds, that sounds like a lot to handle in your head at once. Yes. Tell me a little bit about how you're thinking about what happens now. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm in a limbo, so it's hard to make plans for me. So I'm, I make little baby plans. Like fishing is one of my little baby plans. Uh, getting visits from my, my whole family's little baby plans that I, that I could do. I have a lot. I have long-term plans, but it, it's kind of hazy because of COVID, because of my situation. I'm, I'm really glad. To, it's, you know, it's nice to sit outside with you and Thank do this you. interview. And, you Thank know, you. It's a very different view than we're used to, huh? Yo, oh, my God. We used to sit in a small room that has no air conditioning, and I fall asleep all day. I know. I remember it that. It was so hot. It's I'd like always be like, degrees. we got we to turn the fan off. Because yeah, turn the fan off. It's 100 degrees. Like, oh, my God. It's so hot but right here it's so breezy and we're you know just enjoying this interview and it's great i'm one of 18,000 people who've gotten out of california state prison during the pandemic at the beginning of covid state prison held 34 percent more people than they were built for since then the state has released people to limit the spread of the virus now there are two uncuffed producers who are no longer behind bars. Recently, producer Joe Kirk from Solano State Prison got out too. I'm a, even a millennial, and I got out five years later, and there's these technologies I've never seen. And I couldn't imagine, like, we have one guy here that uh, did 20 years. Can you imagine doing 20 years, no internet, and you go out into a world that's only online right now? We'll hear from Joe next time on Uncuff. This episode was made by Eli Warshafter, Gabe Graben, Nina Gensler-Deb, and me, Chanton Bunn. Our theme music is by David Jazzy. If this is your first time listening to Uncuffed, please go back and check out our other episodes made by the team inside San Quentin and Solano State Prison. Our training program is supported by the California Art Council and the California Department of Correction and Rehabilitation. <laughs>